Welcome to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope you find this podcast to be a resource that helps you grow in your faith through the study of scripture and theology. As the kids return to their seat, if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Samuel. Uh, We're up to 1 Samuel chapter 5, which is continuing the story that, uh, that we began last week looking at the story of the ark. And we're going to read uh, 1 Samuel chapter 5 and 6 all together. I, I know it's a lot, so, but you can do it. So pay attention. We're going to read 1 Samuel chapter 5 uh, through the first couple verses of chapter 7. I didn't say that earlier, but that's what we're doing. When the Philistines captured the ark of God, and they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod, then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. But when they rose early the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord, and the head of Dagon and both of his hands were laying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. This is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod to this day. The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how things were, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon our God. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? They answered, Let the ark of the God of Israel be brought around to Gath. So they brought the ark of the God of Israel there. But after they had brought it around, the hand of the Lord was against the city, causing a very great panic. And he afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. So they sent the ark of God to Ekron. But as soon as the ark of God came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, They have brought around to us the ark of God of Israel to kill us and our people. They sent therefore and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it return to its own place, that it may not kill us and our people. For there was a deathly panic throughout the whole city. The hand of God was very heavy there. The men who did not die were struck with tumors, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. The ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners and said, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us, with what shall we send it to its place? They said, If you send away the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty, but by all means return him a guilt offering. Then you will be healed, and it will be known to you why his hand does not turn away from you. And they said, what is the guilt offering that we shall return to him? They answered, five golden tumors and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines, for the same plague was on all of you and on your lands. So you must make images of your tumors and images of your mice that ravage the land and give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from off you and your gods and your land. Why should you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts after he had dealt severely with them? Did they not send the people away and they departed? Now then, 
Take and prepare a new cart and two milk cows on which there was never, there has never come a yoke and yoke the cows to the cart, but take their calves home away from them and take the ark of the Lord and place it on the cart and put it uh, in a box, put in a box at its side the figures of gold which you are returning to him as a guilt offering. Then send it off and let it go its way and watch. If it goes up on the way to its own land, to Beth Shemesh, then it is he who has done us this great harm. But if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that struck us. It happened to us by coincidence. The men did so and took two milk cows and yoked them to the cart and shut up their calves at home. And they put the ark of the Lord on the cart and the box with the golden mice and images of their tumors. And the cows went straight in the direction of Beth Shemesh along one highway, lowing as they went. They turned neither to the right nor to the left, and the lords of the Philistines went after them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were, were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. And when they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark, they rejoiced to see it. The cart came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh and stopped there. A great stone was there, and they split up the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the box that was beside it, in which were the golden figures, and set them upon the great stone. And the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrificed sacrifices on the day, on that day to the Lord. And when the five lords of the Philistines saw it, they returned that day to Ekron. These are the golden tumors that the Philistines returned as a guilt offering to the Lord. One for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, one for Ekron. And the golden mice, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines belonging to the five lords, both fortified cities and unwalled villages, the great stone beside which they set down the ark of the Lord is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. And he struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. He struck 70 men of them, and the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. Then the men of Beth Shemesh said, who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? And to whom shall he go up away from us? So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kiriath Jerem, saying, The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to you. And the men of Kiriath Jerem came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they consecrated his son Eliezer to have charge of the ark of the Lord. From the day that the ark was lodged at Kiriath Jerem, it, a long time passed, some 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Most gracious Father, as we look once again to your word, I ask that you would add your blessing to this reading of your word, that you would strengthen me and fill my mouth with your words, that I may proclaim boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ, making clear your will and your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, at the beginning, when we started looking at this incredible book that, that we know as 1 Samuel, I said there's kind of two storylines. There is, of course, the, the, the storyline that we have argued multiple times over the years that is the story of the Bible. God establishing His kingdom through His Christ according to His covenant promises. But there's also this kind of sub-storyline that runs through there that has to do with how we respond to that. And it's this storyline where, where people, where, where you and I, are always looking for our hope, security, and identity. And the reality is these two storylines really converge because our hope, security, and identity is found in the kingdom of God through Christ. But we're constantly looking for it somewhere else. And so we see both of those storylines at work 
in, in really fantastic ways in this passage that we've just read. So, so here's kind of what we're going to do. First, we're going to look at this hope, security, and identity piece and how that's at work in this story and what that instructs us about how that's at work in our lives. Then we're going to look at the kingdom Christ covenant piece and how that's at work in this story and throughout the rest of the Bible and how that's at work in our lives. So, so that's, our, that's our goal this morning. So, so first, there, there's this hope, security, and identity piece. Let's start there. And I want us to just think about the, the story that we've just read and, and the, the, the intro to it that we saw last week. Remember, uh, the, the Israelites were defeated by the Philistines. So they said, oh, I know what we need, a totem. So they went and got the ark and brought it with them to battle, which wasn't an entirely unheard of thing. God had told them to take it with them to Jericho. But, but this was just their own doing. They came up with this all on their own. Here's what we're going to do. We need God. And, and so they used him kind of as an idol. God would have none of it. And they're defeated even worse when they have the ark. And Hophni and Phinehas, the two corrupt son priests of Eli, die, and Eli dies, and the ark is captured by the Philistines. That the very the place where the presence of God dwelt is captured by the Philistines and taken back, so so that they say the glory has left Israel, the kavod, the heaviness has left Israel. I mean, it's really an incredible time of despair for them. But here's what the Philistines do. They think, but because we like to believe that, that wars aren't religious, but, but they all are at some level. And, and, and they were totally fine with that. If two nations fought, whoever won, their God won. That was just how they viewed it. So they think we've beat Yahweh. We've beat the God of Israel. So they take the, the, what they see as the representation of Yahweh. They know he's pretty impressive because he had smoked the Egyptians and they were kind of the superpower. So they're feeling probably pretty good about themselves. So they, they're like, well, let's take this ark and let's put it in the temple of our God, Dagon. So, there, so there's this, this temple to, to Dagon and, and there's the, the, the statue of, of Dagon, this big idol, and there is the ark right next to it. They get up early the next morning, they go and... Lo and behold, Dagon has bowed down to the ark of Yahweh. Well, they set their God back up because their God can't do it on his own. They set him back up. They come back, it tells us, the next morning, and he's bowed down again. But this time, the head of the statue and the hands of the statue have broken off on the threshold of the temple. Our cat won't step on a threshold. It jumps over the thresholds. I'm not saying cats are demons, but because of that, the priests of Dagon won't step on the threshold going into the temple anymore. Just saying. See, here's what has happened. The Israelites were defeated by the Philistines, and the Philistines thought, we have tamed Yahweh. We've beat him. And we can take him wherever we want now. And if we think we need his help, we can use it but we've tamed him. And so they put him next to their God and he's destroyed because they hadn't tamed him because you can't. And they learned that the hard way. And so they're trying to figure out what to do because these plagues have come on them, right? Tumors have broken out. And that's a tame translation. It's probably hemorrhoids. Yeah, exactly, Steve. They're running about around like a bunch of inflamed baboons wondering, what do we do to get rid of this? Get the ark 
out of here. We need relief. We've, this plague has to stop. So they send it to another city. And that city is like, Whoa, no, 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 no. And they send it to another city. And that city's like, they're trying to kill us. And everywhere the ark goes, these plagues come. These tumors and the mice and the heavy hand of Yahweh that had broken the hands of Dagon is on the people. Because they think they've tamed him and God's like, no, no, no. Not at all. So they come up with a plan. We read the story. Get some milk cows. Put, build a cart. And let's just see what God does. Just send that thing back. And if those cows go and it takes the ark home, then cool. But we need to send a guilt offering because we have clearly we have clearly crossed some lines here. So they make golden images of the tumors and of the mice, which seems just, other than the fact that it's gold, seems like a ridiculous offering, but that's what they do. They send it back because they at least realize if this God is who we think he is based on what we think he's doing to us, that he is a God who needs to be revered whatever it costs us. So don't send that ark back without a guilt offering. So that's what they do. And the cows go because God's in control of nature. So even though they're wanting to to, to nurse their, their baby cows and those baby cows, they just go wherever Yahweh sends them. And here comes the ark right into Beth Shemesh. And they celebrate it first. They're like, oh, it's come back. And, and they, they kill the cows and offering, offer them on this great stone using the cart to, to burn them. So they, they offer this great burnt offering to Yahweh because he has brought the ark home. He has returned. The glory has returned to Israel. It's incredible. But then this other thing happens. They think, apparently, in my view, that they've tamed God. Here, here, the ark has come home. And remember, remember what the ark was. It was the, the dwelling place of the presence of God. And remember where it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be in the Holy of Holies. And remember who was supposed to look at it. No one. But the high priest and him only once a year, lest you be consumed by God. Well, they clearly, looking at the story, take the presence of the ark lightly. And 70 men die because they take it lightly. Because they think he's tame. And then notice that the Israelites' response, those people in Bethlehem, notice that their response is exactly the same as the Philistines. How do we get rid of him? This will not work for us at all. Listen to the questions at the end of chapter 6. Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? And to whom shall he go up away from us? If he's not going to be a tame God that gets us what we want, then we need to get rid of him because we can't stand before him. This forces us or, or, or draws us into a series of questions about how we deal with Yahweh, doesn't it? Because here, here's, here's how we have a tendency to deal with him. We have a tendency to, 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 to try and tame him for our purposes. 
to, to try to use him as a God. That, that he's going to bless us and he's going to give us what we want, but, but he's not going to ask hard things of us and he's not going to really be God. He's not going to really be sovereign. He's not really going to get to call us to do difficult things. He's there for our benefit. And here's what we often do with Yahweh. We often cart him in and set him up right next to whatever idols we have already in our life that we worship. We treat him just like the Philistines do so often. We want him there to help us. But we don't want him knocking over our idols. And when he does, we set those idols back up real quick and step over the threshold to honor them, just like the Philistines did. And so, so this, this raises a question for us of, of kind of, okay, well, well, maybe we need to think about what some of these idols are in our life that we, that we try to tame God to serve. There's kind of a trifold way of, of dealing with this that, that's been used for years. Your time, your talent, your treasure. Where do those go? Where do those go? Tim Keller kind of fleshes that out a little bit. He says, what are the things that you lose time on? That you just, you step into doing them and then you look up and hours have passed without you realizing it. What are the things that just enrapture you at that level? What are the things that you worry about? That you get anxious about? That you, that you spend time just thinking about? What are the things that you spend money on? without thinking about it. That, that kind of, I mean, no matter what it costs, no matter what my financial state, the, the money's being spent on that. We're, we're, we're going to spend that money. We might cut back over here, but that money gets spent without thinking about it. Where do we spend our time? Where do we spend our emotion? Where do we spend our resources? I, I would add two more things to this. What in your life is untouchable? What in your life that even if you came across a Bible verse that spoke directly to it, you'd be like, you know what? No. You don't get that. Maybe it's unforgiveness that you hold on to. Not touchable by God. Maybe it's some ideology that you're just like, nope, I am clinging to this no matter what. It's not touchable. It's not touchable. Maybe it's some sin that, that you, you know is a sin, but it's not touchable because you find such comfort in it. Uh, another question that we might ask is, what undoes you? And, and I don't mean like the, the normal things that, that should give us a normal human response. Well, we should mourn and miss people. Right? Like, so I'm not talking about the I'm talking about what are the things that, that, that you look at and you're like, if that goes, I'm done. My hope, security, and identity go with it. What are those things? Here's the thing. We've all got them. So, so if, if there's a, a lot like me, if there's a list of them, don't, don't feel bad like, like you're the only one there. We've all got them. We've all got them. What this passage reminds us is that it does no good to set Yahweh up next to him as a second God. 
It does us no good to do that. It does us no good to try to tame him in service to our truer gods. We need him to knock those gods over. And in his grace, he will. It hurts. It's scary when he does it, but it's his grace. It's his fatherly care saying, that's not worth, that's not worth your worship. Let me break its head off for you so that you see that it's a dumb idol. Let me break its hands so that, so that you can see that you're the one who has to set it up, that it has no power on its own. It scares us to death when, it, when that happens. But when it does, Yahweh is still there. The true God of all creation is still there saying, find your hope, your security, your identity in me. The God who refuses to be tamed. Come to me. See, what he's saying is, kiss the son. Because all who take refuge in him will be blessed. That's what he's calling us to. He's calling us to the freedom of of, of no longer having to serve all of these idols that that we've set up for ourselves. All of these false gods that the world has said, you've got to have this. If you're going to matter at all, you've got to have this. You've got to be this way. You've got to be thought of like this or or nobody's going to care about you. And your voice isn't going to matter. Where do we spend our time? Where do we spend our emotion? Where do we spend our our resources? What's untouchable in our life? What undoes us if it goes? That's what we serve. And we need to confess that. We need to be honest with God. Hey, God, I feel like if this goes away, I'm done. I don't think you'll provide for me what I'm getting from this. You can be that honest. You can, that, that's what confession is. God already knows that. Your father already knows that those things have your heart. And when you're honest with him about it, he says, oh, dear child, that's not true. That's not true at all. I've got you. You're mine. Who you are is defined by who I say you are, not by what that gives you. Your hope, security, identity, they all come from me. Not by what you get from those things. So let me do you a favor. Let me knock that idol over. Let me break its head off. Let me rip its hands off. Let me show you how, how, how powerless it is. And then you come worship me. And then you come, find mercy from me. But remember, there is a way you have to come to me. And it's through my son. It's through him. There's no other way to come. You don't, 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 don't come to me with all your performance. Don't, don't go in and you kick over your idols and then say, am I worthy now, God? No, no, no. Come to me through my son who shatters the idols for you. Come to me through Jesus. Because you can come no other way. 
You like to think you can, but you can't. But here's the deal. You don't need to either because he's provided everything. He's made a way for you to come to me. Rest in him. Find your hope in him. Find your security. Don't, don't get scared and say, oh, I've got to get rid of God. He is too much. He's asking too much. Come to me and get grace. So there's the first part of the sermon. The hope, security, and identity piece. Now, now I want to circle back around, start over. Second sermon, two for one. If this was TJ Maxx, you would be so excited. Preach a second sermon about the kingdom Christ covenant aspect because they, they go together. I want us to think about what happens in this story. There, there's a guy named Robert Alter who's an incredible uh, Old Testament scholar, and he talks about something called a type scene. A type scene is this. It's, it's, it's a, a scene in the Bible that's repeated over and over and over in different ways to make a point. It's a literary device. And we have one of those here. Here's what happens. God is seemingly defeated by the Philistines. The ark is captured. And because of that, he's taken in to the inner sanctum of the Philistines where their high God is. And from that position, he gains the victory over the false God. Now, that, that story, seeming defeat, apparent defeat, entrance into the inner sanctum where real victory is gained, is told over and over and over in the Bible. I'll, I'll give, you, give you four examples. Samson. What happens with Samson? By the way, this is with the Philistines also. What happens with Samson? He is seemingly defeated when they cut his hair. And they, and, but then where does he end up? He ends up in the inner sanctum of the Philistines, at the party of parties, where all the rulers and all the important people are. And then what happens? God strengthens him once again, and he destroys the building. He pulls the columns down, and it tells us more Philistines were destroyed in that act than in the rest of his life. This, this man that God had called to be a Philistine slayer, there's the story. Apparent defeat, entrance into the inner sanctum, true victory. Esther. Let's think about Esther. What happens there? Haman, all his stuff, apparent defeat of the Jews. I mean... The next day, they're all going to be hung. They're like the decree's going out. But Esther, this Jewish woman, gets entrance into the inner sanctum. And she goes to the king and says, hey, this is what Haman's done. And the king says, no. And Haman's destroyed. Apparent defeat, entrance into the inner sanctum, victory. You know what the fourth story is, don't you? We could repeat it over, but you know where I'm going. Jesus is nailed to the cross. Apparently defeated. But through that defeat, he gets entrance into the inner sanctum of death itself, where he gains the true victory over sin and death and the devil. Where he shatters the kings of the earth with a rod of iron. See, this is the story of how God's going to establish his kingdom through his Christ according to his covenant promises. He's apparently going to be defeated, but that's going to give him entrance into the inner sanctum where he will claim the decisive victory for all time for his people. 
That's the good news. That's the gospel. That's what God's been doing all along. I I challenge you this week, go home and think about that storyline. Apparent defeat, entrance into the inner sanctum, a decisive victory. You find it all over the place. In some form, Moses, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abed, over and over and over. Apparent defeat, entrance into the inner sanctum, victory. The true victory. That's the gospel. And and here's where these two storylines come together. Because that's the story. Apparent defeat, entrance into their sanctum, victory. True victory for God and for all who are with him. Because that's the story. Our hope, security, and identity are secure. Do you you see how how here in this story, these two, they they intersect, they, they overlap beautifully. Because now the Israelites are being shown, oh, we don't have to look. For all this other stuff. We've got Yahweh. We've got the Dagon defeater. We've got the one before whom all the other gods bow. We've got the one that that, that, the people that that apparently just defeated us. When they come face to face with him. They're like oh never mind. You can have him back. We've got the one who brought us out of Egypt. We have the true God of all creation. And here's what they should do. Here's what we should do. We should find our hope, security, and identity in him. But guess what? Spoiler alert. The next thing they're going to do is ask for a king like the other nations. Spoiler alert. The next thing you're going to do is ask for a king like the other nations. But guess what? When they do that, does God abandon them? No, he doesn't. He doesn't. He's there for them to confess to. He's there, the son is there for them to kiss, to take refuge in, and to find hope once again. This is your God. This is our God. The God who can't be tamed. But in, in, in his not being tamed, provides for us hope, security, identity, salvation, forgiveness, mercy, grace, life itself. Go to him. Rest in him. Find your hope in him. Let him knock down all the other idols and serve him alone. And hear him say, you don't have to be anxious about any of it. Because I will not be tamed by you, and I will not be tamed by the world. And you're with me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And for these incredible stories that remind us who you are. That teach us to look to you and not be scared of you, though you are a fearsome God. That remind us that that, that your business is to establish your kingdom through your Christ according to your covenant promises. And that in that we find out who we are. We're made to be who we are. We're declared to be your children through Jesus Christ and his atoning work. 
We confess, Father, that we are quick to set our idols back up. Would you knock them down once again? And by your spirit, fix our eyes on Jesus, your anointed, your king, your son, our savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope this teaching has helped you grow in the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Please feel free to share this resource so that others may also be strengthened in their faith through the study of scripture and theology.